when I talk to people, there are many understandings of what the Christian life is. And here's some common ones I come across. Christian life is a knife edge, a very narrow path you must stick to. If you go to the left or the right, you will fall off. Maybe you will fall all the way and then you'll never make it back. It's not worth continuing. At best, it's a scramble to try and get back up on that knife edge. But no one is perfect. Everybody will fail sooner or later. And if the Christian life is a knife edge, we will not, we will certainly miss out on heaven. Another view is that it's trying hard. This starts with that obvious truth that no one is perfect. And they say, but that's okay, as long as you're trying hard, that's what God wants. But how can you be ever sure you've tried hard enough? You can never be certain. Trying hard can never let you be sure that you're okay with God. Some people say it's just being good, being a good person. Many people say this to me. They say Christianity is just like every other religion. It helps you be good. If there is a God, what he would want is for people to be good. Whether it's by Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or just being a good Australian, it doesn't matter. But Jesus said no one is good except God himself. This view has to be wrong. And the final one I'm going to bring to you is that the Christian life is like having a get-out-of-hell-free card, a goof card, also known as Jesus in my pocket. Of course, they will say, of course you need to accept Jesus as your saviour. Then you will get into heaven when you die. But you just tuck him into your pocket, actually really deep down, so you won't lose him and so that he won't bother you during your life. These people tell me, of course I have Jesus. Heaven is sorted. I just need to get on with real life now. The real life of my job, business, family, house, cars, holidays. I just need to live that as best I can. This is real life. None of these ways sound like the Bible's view of Christian life. At least the last one mentions Jesus but only to tuck him away so he's not really there. When Christians say these sort of things to me, it's hard to work out if they're actually Christian or not, if that's what they really believe. It's not always clear. Paul has a very different view of the Christian life to all of these. And as God's chosen apostle, it's his view, not ours, that is the true Christian life. The final three chapters of Ephesians are lots of details about living the Christian life, but before Paul gives us the details, he wants us to get the big picture of the Christian life, which is our passage today. And I've used this passage at the end of Ephesians 3 many times to talk to people about the Christian life. It's my favourite part of this whole letter. And as I came to write it down for the sermon, I'd never written it down before, the words I used, I was surprised that the three words I used spelled my name, Joe. 
I'm not trying to make the talk actually all about me, but it is school holidays and I thought I would have some fun. I hope you find it fun too, but more, I hope you remember what the talk's about. Joe, J-O-E, we'll get there in point two. There's about two minutes left for you to claim this, if you can work it out before I tell you. But first, point one, Paul. Ephesians 3:14 and 15. We're looking at those two verses. It will help you greatly to get out your Bibles or phones and follow along. I'm using the NIV English translation. In almost all his letters, Paul tells his readers that he prays for them. I've started telling people if I pray for them, I'm trying to be like Paul is like. It's a lovely thing to do. It encourages people to tell them that you're praying for them and encourages me to keep praying for them. I think we should all be telling people if we are praying for them. Back in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, For this reason I, Paul, pray for you, except he interrupts himself to explain his special relationship to them. Paul is their apostle, chosen by God with special insight by revelation from God. He's the one praying to them. This prayer is important. He comes back to this prayer now that he's explained his relationship in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul is praying very formally, kneeling before God to pray for them because it's that kind of prayer. He calls God the Father and declares him to be the origin of all fatherhood, all fatherhood in heaven, all fatherhood on earth. It never occurred to me there was fatherhood in heaven. Normally, father is a term of intimacy, of closeness, of affection, because it's a father's job to provide and protect for his children. But here, it's also a term for God's greatness as the original father. Paul is praying to our great God, the ultimate father. So point two, J-O-E. Here we get to the content of Paul's prayer for them and for us. We are included because Paul is our apostle too. He prays huge things for them, not natural things. He's praying supernatural things for them. Verse 16, Paul prays that out of God's riches, the picture here is a little bit, just a little bit like my mum's kitchen when Sue and I used to visit her with our kids. She had a great big lolly jar full of sweets. And when we visited with our kids, she would go to that lolly jar and fill up a bowl full of delights for the kids. Paul is praying for much bigger things than lollies. He's asking God to reach into his riches and bring out something huge for them, something to delight them. Paul's prayer is for strength, power from the Holy Spirit working inside them. Straight away we know Paul is not asking for outside things like wealth or health or big house, good job, holidays. Paul wants something to happen inside 
each of them. Something supernatural that needs God's spirit working in their inner being because they can't do this on their own. So what is this spiritual power for? Verse 17, for Christ to dwell in their hearts and then for them to be rooted and established in love. At first it sounds like Paul is praying that they would become Christians, but they are Christians. Paul, it seems, wants them to be clearly Christians so he doesn't have to worry about them, whether they are or they aren't. Paul is writing that they will enter Jesus' rescue, enter Jesus' love for them with both feet, actively. Not just having Jesus tucked away in their pocket, but have him actively dwell in their hearts, to live in their hearts by his Spirit. Paul wants their very heart to be changed by Jesus, to have their desires changed, to have what they want changed. Jesus did not rescue them so they could have everything their old sinful hearts desire. Jesus rescued them to give them new hearts with new desires. Paul wants them rooted and established in that love, to have their lives moved from being in this world, based in this world, to being in Christ's love, based in Christ's love, to send down roots into Jesus, to set the foundation of their life on him. We have something similar from Jesus himself in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, here I am, and he's talking to Christians at a church. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Jesus doesn't want us to tuck him in our pocket for later use. His rescue means a meal, an active relationship of him loving us and us loving him. At its centre, the gospel of Jesus, Christianity, is a love story. Not life improvement, but love. If you ever start explaining Christianity to anyone, tell them it's a love story about being rescued by a wonderful hero who loves us. Paul prays that they would have roots and foundations in love, in Christ's love. You can't see roots and you can't see foundations. A plant in your garden is a failure if it sends down great roots and there's no branches or flowers or fruit. A building is a failure if it has great foundations but nothing to see. No building built upwards from those foundations. Paul prays for them to be rooted and established in the love of Jesus but he also wants more for them. Verse 18, I also pray you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is my favourite part in this letter. It's the Joe part. Paul is describing to them Christian life, praying the Christian life for them. The Christian life is... A journey of exploration. 
into the love of Christ, into its highest, widest, deepest, longest parts. It's a journey of exploration. J-O-E. I hope you remember Joe, so you can remember that our life is now a journey of exploration into Christ's amazing love, his infinite love. I'd love you to be able to remember that and tell it and especially to live it out yourself. Joe, J-O-E, a journey of exploration into Christ's love for you and for his Father. I guess I get to eat the chocolates myself. The Christian life is, it's not a narrow path like a knife edge that you can fall off any minute. It's not about trying hard with our own strength or being good or putting Jesus in your pocket for later use like a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's none of these things. First and foremost, the big picture of the Christian life is freedom. Freedom to explore, to go on a journey of exploration into Christ's love. Paul prays they will enter Christ's love properly, with both feet, to make sure they've entered it. So Paul knows they've entered it, so he doesn't have to worry about them. And then, once they've entered it, to explore it, to enjoy it themselves, to see the sights, to really get to know the love they've entered, to explore it, go on a journey of exploration into it. This whole letter to the Ephesians has been about Paul describing to them the joy of being a Christian, the delights of it. Chapter 1, every spiritual blessing is theirs already, Resurrection power is theirs. Chapter 2, life is theirs. Life from death. They've already been given life, raised and seated with God in the heavenly realms. Belonging, no longer excluded. And in chapter 3, the first half, he told them that being a Christian is being important for God's bigger purposes that reach into heaven itself. But it all comes back to love the love of the father who sent his son to rescue us the love of the son who sacrificed himself and took on death and God's anger at our sin God's uh, he did that because he loved his father and he loves us and he wants us to eat with him to live with him, to enjoy him. I thought I'd say a few words on how to explore the love of Christ. To answer that question involves a bit of cheating because we have to peek into the last three chapters of Paul's letter. Paul will explain that exploring Jesus' love involves learning it and involves living it. It involves learning it, being taught it through the Bible and reading the Bible yourself. It involves living it out, putting Jesus' love into practice in your own life, displaying it in your life. We explore Christ's love by learning it and by living it. Then we really grasp what his love is about. It will be all joy, even the tough bits. Because our joy as Christians doesn't depend on what's going on around us or what's going on to us, what's happening to us. 
It doesn't depend on our circumstances. Life can get tough. Our circumstances can get tough. There can be tears. There can be pain and persecution because we are no longer of this world. Paul will tell us we're actually battling against Satan himself. But he will also tell us we have God's armour to protect us in this fight. The Christian life is not all smiles and happiness, but it's always deep joy. Our troubles in this world will not be the end of us. They, the troubles, will all end, but we won't. We will enjoy life forever in the abundance of the love of God our Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 19. To know, Paul prays, that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Paul wants them to know something that surpasses knowing. Christ's love is that big because then we will be filled with all God's fullness. As we go on our journey of exploration through Christ's love, exploring it by learning it and living it ourselves, then we start to grasp it, then we are filled with all God's fullness. If you think about it, Paul has just prayed some impossible things. If they know something that is beyond knowing, their brains would explode. That's impossible. If they're filled with the fullness of God, well, God can't fit into us. They will, their whole body would explode. We are mere mortals. These things are impossible. I don't know everything that it means to be filled with the fullness of God, but it means at least this. As we enter Christ's love, then explore it, we begin to understand it, then we want to change. We want to be just like Jesus, which means we will want to be loving and generous and forgiving and merciful and tolerant to people who don't deserve any of it, just like Jesus is to us we will be doing the sort of things God does. We'll be living like God. God will start showing out of us because he's filling us. We will be declaring to the world and to the heavenly powers that Jesus has won and we win too and that Satan and his demons have lost. The final point, point three, God. Verse 20. Now him, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God can do so much more you can't measure it. Paul actually says God can do beyond everything, beyond more than we can ask or even imagine immeasurably you can't measure how much more God can do than what we ask or even what we can imagine Paul has just prayed some impossible things for us to fully grasp Christ's love which is beyond us to know to be filled with all God's fullness which can't fit in us 
that Paul knows the God, the Father he is praying to and that gives him confidence because God can do far more abundantly than we can ask or even imagine. The gospel, God's good news for humanity is such great news in this broken world with its viruses and plagues and fires and droughts and floods. It's good news for humanity with all our brokenness and sinfulness. But the good news is all about God and his hero. He's the one who deserves all the credit, all the thanks, all the honour. He's the one who deserves all the glory. But he has chosen to do it through us. He has chosen to bring glory to himself through us, the church, by rescuing us. So verse 21, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have a very special place in God's heart and in God's purposes. I'd like to finish by praying this prayer of Paul's for us. So how about we all pray together? Our Father God, we bow before you, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all Christians to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, to really grasp it, this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to all the measure, to the measure of all the fullness of you. Now to you who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.